0: In our story today, we will notice, it's in Mark chapter 5, that in this place, this journey of Jesus, uh, he is in a place that he's becoming more and more famous, and wherever he goes, he draws a crowd. And people are like really up close. I mean, it's packed. It's, it's uh, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder. Wherever he goes, there's just this mass of people that are around him. And I felt like I was in one of those masses on Friday night uh, we were up at University of Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, and I was there for Levi, and I had one person that I was there in all the mass of people, and what was going on was there was a huge beginning of the track season uh, meet for 15 high schools, and Levi was there as Coach Perry with Jefferson High School. This was his first time to have Coach Perry on the official forms and he was uh, a little nervous about that you know this is the first time he didn't have control because when you're the athlete and you're doing the event you know how you've trained you know where you are mentally you are the one that's in charge of what's going to happen and now you have to stand on the sidelines and watch six of your competitors hope they don't freak out hope they remember everything you've been teaching them. He was a basket case <laughs> on Wednesday night and uh, so I told Roger I said you know what I think we need to like clear our calendar and be there I just think he needs to have somebody there that's for him so in the mass of all these people there was one person one person that I zeroed in on and cared about now I looked online they're the Eagles Jefferson Eagles so I made cupcakes Their colors are maroon and and gold. You know, you can't find that at at Jewel, (laughs) maroon and gold. So I went with that uh, uh, red velvet cake. I thought, that's about as maroon as I can get. I found gold sprinkles. I put JHS on on top of every cupcake. I was a hit. (laughs) (laughs) But before before the, the team came over to say, thank you for the cupcakes, I was the fly on the wall. They didn't know me, I was dressed in university purple. And I was sitting in the bleachers, I just happened to sit down and all of a sudden a bunch of maroon and gold people came and sat around me. They were talking about the new th- th- throwing coach. It's interesting what you can find out when you're <laughs> a fly on the wall. <coughs> but it was fun. And three of the c- throwers did personal record bests that day. and. One of them won the event four feet farther than she'd ever uh, thrown compared to the other competitors. and One little guy um, was really struggling, and so Levi changed his uh, the way he threw. And this was our first time to really like practice it out. And he threw a personal best of two feet farther than he'd ever thrown. So it was a big win. It was a big win. But I'm just telling you, I cleared my calendar. Because a parent love for their child and in our scripture today there is a dad who cleared his calendar cleared off his reputation he would do anything for his daughter and that's what we read about in chapter 5 starting with verse 21 when jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please, come, put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed in around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, She told the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child, mother, and father, and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kume, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was how old? Twelve years old. Notice that's an uh, interesting uh, information he gives us. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone no about this, told them to give her something to eat. Two stories, two miracles, one kind of in the midst of another. That number 12 is really significant. It's important to this story. 12 years, as long as the little girl has been alive, this woman has been suffering from a disease that no one seems to be able to help her. She has used all of her finances. She has used everything she can think of to bring healing, and nothing, absolutely nothing is working. And so she's heard about Jesus, and she has decided, this is my last chance. I have got to get close enough to Jesus to touch him. I I don't even need to talk to him about this. I don't even need to be there because, honestly, nobody will want me there. Because of this illness that she had, she was considered unclean. For 12 years, she hadn't been allowed to go to the synagogue. For 12 years, she hadn't been around people. She was isolated because of her uncleanness. If somebody touched her, then they got unclean. So she was in a very, very hopeless place, and she knew that she didn't really... She didn't deserve to be healed. She wouldn't even be in a place to have that happen, so she was just going to take it. It's going to be mine. So we have one healing that's needed of a prominent family, Jairus, the synagogue leader, the respected person of the community. It's his daughter. We have that, and then we have somebody else that nobody, nobody even wants to be around. But Jesus meets them both and loves them equally. The thing that really came, I've, you know, I've told this story lots of times. I have studied it as a Sunday school lesson as a kid. I have taught it in youth group. I have taught it in Sunday school class. But for the first time in my life, I, I found out something about the story I didn't know before. This story is really about teaching Jairus. Jairus is the synagogue leader. And what really came as that revelation to me is what his name means. His name meant whom God enlightens. Whom God enlightens. Sit up, Jairus. Pay attention. I've got something to teach you today. And it starts out with him being in a place. He's a leader. He's a leader of the synagogue which means he has an authority and people do what he says that they are supposed to do. And he's in charge of making sure that everybody is orderly. He is not in charge of this mob. Okay? Everything is out of order. Everything is in chaos. And he is in the muck of it. And he gives up his reputation. He gives up his authority to go to the feet of Jesus. Number one, Jesus is that guy. That's sort of against the Jews in their philosophy, in their theology. And if he goes and associates himself with Jesus, he gives up what people respect him in the Jewish community. But my, my wonder is if he and his wife looked into each other's eyes and say, we will give up everything to get Jesus here, if she could heal our daughter. We, will do, we would do anything for that. Jairus, can you go? I'll stay with our little girl. Will you go and get Jesus and bring him here? And so Dyrus does that. And he kneels and he's begging. Begging. And he he says to him, my little daughter. It's like saying, my little lamb. My cherished one. That who I need you for, Jesus. Not me, but for her. Would you come put your hands on her and he And Jesus agrees to come. Now, it says that the crowd is is pressing in on him, but it's even worse than that. It's even worse than that. What it really says in the original text is they're choking on Jesus. So it's not like just from one place. It's from all directions. They are pressing in on him. They're choking him. And if I'm Jairus, you know what I would be doing? Get back, get back, get back. We gotta some room in there. We gotta get room. I gotta get Jesus to do it. I mean, I want him now, right? And you know, his his whole insight is forget these people. That important one is my daughter. Okay? I'm th- I'm I'm feeling it. I know what that's like. Because the one I love needs you. And while he's pressing into this crowd. Jesus stops. I mean, I'm Jairus. I'm, I'm trying to make a way. I'm pushing people back to get him there. And then all of a sudden, he stopped on me. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? And the disciples are feeling it too, like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? Come on, this is ridiculous. You're on a mission here. But Jesus says, no, my mission is right here. Somebody... Touched me, and the woman who touched his clothes and got that healing, she knows that he knows. Never thought about it before, but in our Bible study for this week, Jessica Lerone says that the woman that had been that had been ill for twelve years, she tried to shoplift a healing. <laughs> Isn't it like a pickpocket, right? Big crowd, you know, you can get in there, get out, nobody will know. (laughs) And she got found out. She got found out. And so not only she has to come, and now, you know, she is like, I'm going to throw myself on him. And, and, I mean, he could just, like, zap me into a little charcoal biscuit. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But she tells it all. It says she tells the whole truth. She tells the whole stinking, ugly, 12-year, ugly journey. And Jesus says something to her that changed her life forever. It was one word. And Jairus heard it. She said, He says, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That word, daughter, suddenly lifted her from being somebody that's considered unclean, unwanted, a no-nobody-cares-about person to a child of the king, to a princess in the kingdom, a daughter of the king. Suddenly Jairus can see that the way he loves his daughter is the way that Jesus values everybody and claims them as family, worth giving their life for. And Jesus would give his life for her on the cross later. In one word, he changes her forever. He claims her as his own. He acknowledges her value and worth. He offers forgiveness and allows her not only to be healed, but to have the joy of the healing. She didn't have to feel guilty. She reached out to Jesus. She does not have to feel that she wasn't deserving of the miracle. She can rejoice and live in the abundance of Jesus' love. And if Jesus hadn't stopped, if he hadn't turned around and said, who touched me, she would never have ever really been healed and whole. Because Jesus cared way more than just the physical healing. He wanted her to have life. Life and love of God. So Jairus who could very easily have been the head of the synagogue that she used to stand and watch people come and go to worship the Lord and know that if she got up to the door, he would have said, turn around and get out of here. He suddenly realizes the one that he never noticed before has been noticed by Jesus. And I think he, he himself was changed to see that where he was a leader and had asked other people to love God, to understand they could have a relationship with God, he now saw it in a deeper and more meaningful way himself. So they're on their way again. And then he hates the fact that he sees somebody coming through the crowd toward them, not going with them, but coming toward them, fighting against the crowd to get to them and it's faces that he does not want to see. They're faces that should be at his house, caring about his family. And he knows that their presence in that crowd that day is not a good thing, because they're coming to tell him, it's too late. Your daughter has died. There's no reason for Jesus to come anymore. But Jesus, it says in the Scripture, ignored the message spoken by the men. He looks Jairus in the eye and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Now I want you to know that this this translation of the scripture is a little lacking. Because what was really said to Jairus was, keep on believing. Even when you're afraid, keep on believing. Even when you have places of doubt, Keep trusting. Keep on believing. The very thing that Jairus, as charge of the synagogue, had said to other people, now God was saying to him live it. Don't just say it, live it. Keep believing. Don't be afraid. And so he's led by Jesus to walk back to his house, to face his wife, to see the tears on her face. Knowing that he's going to see the lifeless face of his own daughter, the one he couldn't save himself. And he's learning to trust in a much deeper place. He's willing willing to trust in God when it's not rational and it doesn't make any sense. Jairus kept walking with Jesus. And when they arrive, it is raw motion, people wailing crying and in deep grief. And Jesus says a second thing that people are like, that is ridiculous. Jesus says, this girl is not dead. She's only asleep. And it says in scripture they laughed at him. Let me tell you, it's not just ha, ha, ha. This is scorning him. Making fun of him. How stupid of you, Jesus, to think that you could say that kind of statement. We know the truth, and the truth is not. She's not sleeping. Now, it's an interesting thing that lays very politely on the page. It's where Jesus says, after he put them all out. doesn't sound too bad. What it really means is, he ejected them. He's like, you get out of here. Oh, let me tell you let, let me tell you, one of the ways you can use this word, put them out, is I mean to vomit. Now have you ever tried to stop that from happening? It's coming out. Whether you wanted to or not. That's how that Jesus took those people and said, get out. And who was left? The mom, the dad, and three disciples, Peter, James and John. They were the only ones, they were only ones that were allowed into that holy ground place to see the power of Jesus. And he holds on to her hand, and he says to her, get up. If you look in the scripture, if you read it in detail, not only does it say get up, it's with an exclamation point. Get up. And so she does. Now, he says, don't tell anybody about this. I think what he's really saying is, just be in this place of holiness and experience God's presence. Word will get out soon enough. When she goes out and plays with the other kids, but for this, this time right now, just stay in this place and enjoy the gift of God's presence that I've given you. He also says something that seemed kind of odd to me, but it makes more sense to me as I thought about it. He says, give her something to eat. Now, Roger says, it's because she's a preteen. They all eat a lot of food. (laughs) You know, that could be it. This is what I got to thinking about. Let's Let's look at it this way. When Jesus rose up from the dead, his disciples are locked in a room, and he appears in the midst of them. They're trying to decide, is this a ghost? We know we're seeing something, but is it really the resurrected Jesus? And the first thing he does to prove to him that he's really real, he says, give me something to eat. Ghosts don't eat food. Spirits don't have that ability to eat. Give her something to eat so that you can accept and believe that this has really happened, that she has really resurrected from the dead. Jairus learned, he learned that the love that he had for his little girl, that same kind of parent love God has for every one of us, no matter what, whether we accept it or not, is up to us. More times than not, in the last few years, as I am a now a parent of a adult sons, I realize how much God loves us and how often that love is taken for granted and how there are times that I want so desperately for my kids to understand that there's a purpose and a plan for their life, and I, I just have to pray on it because they don't want to hear it from me. And that place where someday, a long time from now, there may be a place where they say, Mom, thank you for what you did. But I'm not, if that never comes, my love for them isn't going to change. And that's the way a lot of times I treat God. He's just there for me, he's picking me out in the crowd, he loves me, he wants the best for me, and I will always be of value to him. But there are more times than not I don't thank him or recognize his presence in my life. There is a uh, hymn that when I was working on last week's sermon about the leper that got touched by Jesus and was healed, And as I thought about um, this sermon today, it's a song written by um, Bill Gaither. It's called He Touched Me. If you would look, get your hymnals out. I know you guys don't do that very often, but you get your hymnals out. Look at number 367. Man, this is like testimony. It's like testimony to a tune. And you think about about the woman. Twelve years this burden, this guilt, this um, suffering that she's gone through. Shackled by a heavy burden Neath a load of guilt and shame Then the hand of Jesus touched me And now I am no longer the same He touched me, oh, Something happened and now I know He touched me and made me whole Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole I will never cease to praise him, I'll shout it while eternity rolls. Now you can turn this chorus around. I touched him. Oh, I touched him. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know. I touched him. And he made me whole. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us with the love of a, a father. And, Father, I know that there are times that earthly fathers um, struggle and, and are weak and do things that cause heart. Father, I pray that we would know you as a father who would love and protect and bless and be there for us. And that there would be healing in those places where we have um, pain from earthly relationships. And Father, I pray for every, every father that's in the room. Their job is so difficult but I pray, Father, that they would first receive your love so that they might share your love with their family. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, and as we leave, let's let's vow to walk by faith.